We acknowledge the Wajuk people and the wider Noongar community uh, on whose country uh, we conduct our zazen and our ceremonies this evening. May the voice of the Buja find expression uh, in our activity and words and zazen uh, tonight. Please sit comfortably. Yeah, this, uh, this is the, uh, I don't know how many talks this is, but probably the sixth or seventh talk in the series called uh, The Passions in the Same Way. And this is, the uh, talk is entitled The Passion to Create. And uh, uh, good, it's the creativity bit. Uh, I'm surprised uh, not to find that the passion to create, uh, that not to find the passion to create on the various lists of the passions. Um, sometimes it's like the Seven Deadly Sins or Descartes' list of passions. But uh, no sign of the passion to uh, create, which is a very fundamental passion. And a passion it surely is, involving the struggle and joy of creating um, how one is so wonderful that it's creating something out of nothing. Um, it's hard to shake the, the, the joy uh, and the strangeness of that. Uh, ex nihilo, the Latin. Making the intangible tangible, the inaudible, hearable, and even singable, and the unseen visible. Uh, setting free that statue hiding within the block of stone. Releasing the melody running uh, through your mind uh, into a more generous musical form. Uh, after the long struggle and the journey, uh, you know, with creation which sometimes will go on over years. You know, songs that were sketched years before are picked up and reworked and um, yeah. Uh, yeah after yeah I think long struggle long engagement it's done and as a creator uh, you are free a difficult companion is out of your side It's good not to get attached to uh, what you create. I think one of the things about um, serious creativity is usually um, by the time the work is finished, um, there's a, a definite loss of engagement and interest often. Uh, well, sometimes because the face of the new work is already swimming up uh, in the well of the old uh, surfacing. There's a wonderful, uh, and Antoinette and I have just so much joy in the evenings that rather than watching television, is to go back and listen to um, a, a lot of great jazz musicians from going right back probably to the 10s and 20s and uh, listening to people like Jelly Roll Morton and Art Tatum and mainly piano players because I'm 
biased that way, but also great singers like Billie Holiday uh, later on in the 30s and 40s. And I love what she said in an interview. She said, um, she was asked by the, the uh, very patronising male interviewer, um, does she listen to her own recordings? And she said, no, nah, I don't listen to my own stuff. If I do, I'm always saying, I should have slowed down there and that should have been faster and I got that wrong and I should have spoken to Teddy about that before doing it. She said, no, I don't listen to my own stuff. She said, I listen to Ella Fitzgerald. She's, she's who I listen to. Um, that's where I get my inspiration. Yeah, so I mean, kind of, a lot of this is kind of Zen in the way it's a non-attachment uh, stuff. Uh, not being attached uh, to stuff that one makes. In terms of passion, um, tonight I want to focus a little bit on music rather than poetry, which is mostly where my attention goes when I explore the arts from a perspective of Zen. Um, over the years I've tended to avoid talking about music because it feels um, very entwined with my life and Indeed, uh, as a profession, it's very entwined. And also music is such, um, perhaps more than any other art form, although I'm kind of guessing here, is so much a matter of taste. People really love this, or they really can't stand this. And it's, uh, if you'd kind of, I, I kind of, it would be difficult to work with a car on um, who is hearing that music, uh, for instance. Luckily, we're more pragmatic, and you know it becomes who is hearing that sound. Um, but music is, yeah. People divide strongly, I think, in taste, so it's awkward in a way. Um, it's also music is so inscrutable, um, and it's difficult to talk about it uh, in a sensible way. But even in non-sensible ways, it's hard hard to talk about. Our religions and spiritual paths have often been cautious around artistic expression, to say the very least. Creating something out of nothing? Surely that's the ultimate hubris. Uh, really, that's the work of God. Um, and there's also the hatred um, driven by fear, in puritanical uh, ways of seeing the arts uh, in spiritual and religious uh, context. Uh, usually as inciting sexual desire or depravity. Uh, and in the Zen tradition, we this stream is also there. Although Zen has its own um, musical traditions, the um, the, um, that group of monks called Monks of Emptiness and sort of having a basket over their head and a shakahachi and called doing um, breathing Zen, uh, Sui Zen. And uh, so Zen actually generated um, musical uh, artistic currents like um, that. Uh, I think the emperor decided that most of them were spies, they were hidden by these basket hats, so they banned, he ensured that the movement was banned. 
But Dangshan himself, uh, in his Song of the Precious Mirror of Samadhi, uh, talking about uh, true nature, which he calls a great conflagration. Neither ignore nor confront what is like a great conflagration, attempting to give it shape, refinement or colour immediately defiles you. And in his cautions to his monks, he said, having been just been blessed with the good fortune of having given birth, been given birth to by our parents, how could we spend our days colluding with fellow disciples, seeking the company of friends, losing ourselves in the practice of calligraphy, or giving rein to our, our ego in the writing of compositions? By occupying yourselves with mere fame and profit and sparing no thoughts for the precepts, you would create 10,000 culpas of difficulties for one lifetime of indulgence. Behave thus, then in vain are you called the sons of the Buddha. So it is also there in Zen traditions. At the same time, spiritual traditions have also welcomed and fostered the arts, um, both as a source of liturgy, but also for the glory of God or for the way in the large. Probably all spiritual paths involve artistic expression in measure. Uh, story, song and dance in Noongar culture, settings of the mass in Catholic traditions, hymns in Protestant traditions, Martin Luther uh, is said to have said, why should the devil have it all, all the good tunes? Uh, finally, as Hakuin puts it so generously uh, for students of the Senwai, for us, um, singing and dancing are the voice of the law. And if he'd have been round for them, he would have surely included the Beatles, Dylan and Van Morrison in that. The wellsprings of creativity aren't necessarily pure. Boredom, irritation, the desire to emulate the work of another or to make money or to become famous or both. All this figures prominently as the ground and source of lots of creation, and that's okay. Sometimes the wellspring of creativity is a nameless, faceless inner urge or the overflow of powerful feeling. Often the wellspring is uh, no particular thing. Um, a Zen student for a long time ago said to me, you know the feeling when a poem is coming on? Uh, that kind of. Or as Antoinette, uh, when I asked her uh, why she creates art, she replied, for fun. If you're a novelist, it is said that to create, you need a cool gaze and an icicle in your heart. Or that. Yeah, a cool gaze uh, and an icicle in your heart. To be a poet, you need a bicycle 
in your heart. Or to be a Zen person, having a bicycle in your heart is a good The passion to create is often properly associated with and driven by competitiveness, envy or jealousy. My father used to use the phrase professional jealousy um, in relation to musicians he knew in London in the 1920s when he was a young man. Um, many of them were in the Communist Party in London and that was quite dangerous in the 1920s. So my admiration for my dad went up and I heard who he mixed with. Um, those, in those times. A lot of artistic fields are pretty cutthroat. Um, but th that also sharpens incentive. And my son uh, says to me, we're ha having lunch, he says, competition, envy. He said, there are only reasons I get out of bed in the morning. I have to say in defence of my son, he said that a long time ago. And <laughs> But uh, it stayed with me. Um, yeah. I value professional music with its deadlines, uh, its spirit of it's due by yesterday. Uh, most of the great music written by Bach, Mozart and Beethoven was written under the whip of paying the bills and lots and lots of popular music uh, likewise. And the Gershwin brothers, George and Ira, George wrote the music, Ira wrote the lyrics. Um, when they were working on a show, um, actually I think generally, as long as the lights in the place were on, you could knock on the door and come in. So at three o'clock in the morning, um, they would be sitting at the piano composing uh, songs for the musical that were due in the morning and their friends would be gathered around them drinking and joining in or... Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's a... It was a wonderful way to work. And lots of people still uh, know and sing and those songs and perform those musicals, uh, written in the noise of a party in many cases. Uh, don't tell anyone, but Zazen is the open mouth of creativity. Yeah, um, and I don't mean just creativity in the sense of the formal arts um, at all. I think in, it includes obviously scientific and mathematical uh, discoveries. Uh, so many of those disciplines are creative at core. But also Zazen opens creative possibilities right across our lives. Uh, when we meditate, we become less literal, more lateral, and so that we readily, may readily find uh, solutions to problems or new ways to frame our experience or indeed new experiences. I feel that Zazen touches how we love, how we work, how we engage with our friends. Um, yeah, and how we um, live our lives. I think, you know, the dropping away of obsessive conceptualisation uh, opens, opens the world up.
So in the light of Zen practice, what are your discoveries uh, in the field of the creative? And, I mean, that could be in the arts, but it can be in, in the sense of the creativity in life uh, itself and the changes that have happened for you over the, the years or months or days. There's a wonderful sense that music is sort of time's, um, time's good way to appear. Um, if anything exemplifies a time, um, music does. Um, So in that regard, the present moment, um, if we regard it as the infinitesimal point where the past becomes the future or the future turns into the past, if we just regard it like that, there can be no music. For music to be, we need a more expansive moment. Correspondingly, music creates the moment on a more lavish scale, such that when we hear two notes in succession, we anticipate the third, or more likely, the rest of the phrase and beyond. Like this, the music breathes its way into an imaginary not yet. If it was just the point of the present, we would just hear individual notes, or maybe a very short phrase. But um, in a sense, you know, there's a theme like um, la dum da di. And you wonder, will it go down again? But it goes up instead. But expectation was perhaps it will just repeat and go down, but no, it moves off. And in a sense, it, it, it creates time in that movement. It's mysterious and beautiful matter, that intersection between music and time. Yeah. Like this, the music breathes its way into an imaginary, not yet, even as it is creating it. And it does this while retaining its past, at least in vestigial form. So the melody unfolds, but there is a kind of memory which is also simultaneously there. So there's this beautiful counterpoint between memory and anticipation, all playing uh, together. And you lose any track of time as a series of points or the markings on a watch. But Mozart wrote to his father that he could walk out after dinner and conceive a symphony in its entirety with all its parts sounding at once. His only task then was on his return home to laboriously write it all out. Um, ah, I feel terrible envy at reading, <laughs> hearing something like that, hearing the whole symphony sounding as if all at once. And damn it, I've got to go home and write the whole thing out. <laughs> what a chore. 
So music can slow time or speed it up. And that doesn't necessarily mean it depend on the music being slow or fast. Music can create that motionless moment, the still core of things, uh, even as it is that. Music bends time. Works such as the Beethoven late piano sonatas and string quartets, um, uh, Olivia Messiaen's um, quartet for the end of time, are meditations that transform us if we are prepared to give them our undivided attention, our deep listening. Yeah, this mutual dependence, any musical moment depends on the moments preceding it and in the same breath those we anticipate. It's like the mutual dependence in the middle way of Buddhism. I am because you are. You are because this is. This is because Just this. Music takes time like love takes time. Talking about the nature of music is trying to like trying to talk about Zen. If you talk about it, you separate from it. Ravi Shankar, the great sitar player, said late in life, I am the music. I prefer to say, the music is me. There is always something in that, I am the, I am this, I am that, um, which has an element of grasping uh, in it. But the other way around is, the, the music is me, the music is you. Ah, it's grace itself. You don't have to grab hold of it or seize it or grasp it. In Zen, we tend not to ask who is hearing the music, but rather more practically, who is hearing that sound. But students have awakened on hearing music. And I remember in the old days, a student from the South, um, awoken on hearing, uh, awoke to his true nature on hearing uh, Rodrigo's Concerto Dameron Way. It's famous, famous thing. Um, La da da, ya da da, ba di da 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 da, ya da 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 di da 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 da, la da 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 da, la da da da, la da da. Very dramatic. 
we can get a sense of this through the experience of uh, Pedro uh, Rojo, um, who's from Chile. Pedro lived in Western Australia with his family for five years and was an inspiration for the practice of the way in our Sangha. Um, and he told me the, this uh, story. Goes, after dropping my son at school, I turned on the ignition in my car. The radio was already on and it was Vivaldi. I knew that melody and I knew how it continues. Naturally, without effort, it felt a part of me. And all of a sudden, I was living in the music. The music was me. I felt that my intimacy with the music made me the music. So much so that even if I died, a part of me would still remain in the music and that music would be myself. I don't care if I die. Even if I die, I'm living as that music. I thought it was interesting to think that I won't ever die because I am more than myself. Although, of course, no doubt I will die. I write to you to remember it, uh, this experience, and because I thought that there is something there, something of our practice. <laughs> I thought there was something there, something of our practice. My own life as a musician has been informed and shaped by Zen practice. Uh, my Zen practice has also been shaped by music. Um, I think learning an instrument, uh, like learning accordion or piano, and a daily practice, which is absolutely obligatory in mastering an instrument, makes a transition to Zen practice uh, as a regular uh, daily practice probably easier familiarity with practice from childhood. I speak for the power and virtue of Zazen whose effects are incalculable. Beyond that, metaphors of the way have often been an inspiration for musical structures and procedures in my work. I discovered Beethoven's Piano Sonata, Opus 109, in the middle of the squalor and emotional chaos of my teen years and found in it a luminous principle of order, a music that carried me into deeper and deeper life and gave me my first remembered experience of timelessness. I remember uh, giving a talk on this uh, great sonata when I was at university and uh, I'd written all the themes up on the blackboard in the lecture thing and connected them all up. And uh, I was totally obsessed with how the themes of this work all interconnect, like their rearrangements of the same uh, patterns. But not the Barkian kind of thing of running something backwards or upside down, but a more subtle and intuitive rearrangement. And I was so obsessed with this, I think the lecture finished and I was still up at the blackboard saying, and this one connects here into the third movement and I think people were all filing out of the lecture um, theatre. Um, but I think that when you love something, uh, even analysis is an act of love. Um, you know, getting to know it in all its uh, fine details 
to someone who's outside of none of this matters, but inside the thing, I think all of this um, becomes an act of love. Um, so uh, I'm going to try and um, play, to, I can't play the whole work, the, even the third movement's too long for our purposes. But um, I want to play just a little bit of the third movement to give you just a, a feeling of the work. Um, but I think for Zen practice, it's a wonderful work to even sit and listen to. It's all the three movements are all based on E, um, so it's 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 absolutely grounded without sounded like drones and that kind of groundedness, uh, and it just flowers uh, on that. Uh, E major, E minor, E major uh, structure. Very simple. Um, can you help me here, please? I, I think it's just a matter of... That's the one. 17. This one? Oh, no, it's just straight here, this one. It's the... It's the... Um, Two, was it? No, it's the, um, this one here. Okay. So it's just play. Ah, good.
Years later, I discovered John Cage's Sonatas for Prepared Piano and his book Silence, with its Zen-influenced account of sound as silence. Under the spell of John Cage's Sonatas and Interludes for Prepared Piano in the early 1980s, I prepared a piano inserting a variety of objects, such as guitar jacks, postcards, um, fishing sinkers, combs, clothes pegs and erasers between and around the strings to alter the sound of the piano in unheard of ways. By the end of the morning it sounded to my joy like a demented gamelan orchestra. Um, it's track two. Later, when I was making a cup of tea, I accidentally knocked the kettle against the stovetop and found myself in a state of confused joy. It was somehow no longer me darkly stumbling about in that place. The sound of the kettle striking the stove stirred something deeper than thought. I trusted my experience and proceeded on trust, for I had to, in the ordinary sense, because what I was getting into couldn't be known in advance or even known at all. Our lives with our falling in love and falling out of love are eternity's opportunity and its song. Though the music unfolds in time, immersed we lose our sense of time's passage. In music in particular, time is permeable and we are permeable. My old piano teacher Alice Carrard Madame, as we called her, was perhaps the finest classical pianist to ever live in uh, Perth, Western Australia. She lived in Netherlands, as a matter of fact. <laughs> she used to say to me at the end of the lesson, they say I'm a menace on the roads. Can you give me a lift to Perth? <laughs> 
and uh, she lived to be over 100. And I remember I couldn't go to her concert, but I, I went to visit her um, when I got back from overseas. And uh, she said, let's have a drink. So <laughs> we tried to, she said, it's in the cabinet, but the cabinet was jammed. So we spent a lot of time trying to get the cabinet open. And then in the bottom of the, in the cabinet were all of these bottles of um, Portuguese wine and things that had crystallized over years. And uh, it was about 100 degrees. And we took a couple of these bottles out onto the back lawn and got very drunk. And uh, um, yeah, she was a very wonderful teacher and inspiring teacher. And I remember um, turning up early for my lesson when she was practicing one day, and she was practicing that Beethoven sonata that um, we just heard a little bit of. And so I wrote a little poem while I was waiting, more or less. Uh, I arrived for my lesson to find you muttering as you rehearsed that late Beethoven sonata, dizzying the summer morning, angling trills at heaven, making the fugue an iron cliff that rings each time you strike. Nearly 100, you live on a sliver of chicken and a spoonful of broccoli a day. Arthritic eagle hunched over the blue gorge, you quiver, an unfiltered gold wire stuck to your lower lip. Smoke pours up into your itching eyes over wet cheeks. You forget your way, circle back, and there again are the crags and ruined parapets, the eagle's feathers making a mess around the cave's mouth. You play this sonata for your Budapest debut. Finally, your teacher waddled through battering applause to kiss you and give his blessing. On your wrist, his fingers fat warm arch that Liszt had moulded, as Cherny, Beethoven's star pupil, did for him. Maybe lineage counts, but you never warmed yourself by that fire. No bigger than a child, you groan at this dirty labour of uplift and uproar. Your hands struggle against their own tightening as a starry sky twists and sings. Blindsighted a moment, you just miss old Ludwig, drunk and beaming as he ambles into the dazzled gap, the intact swiftness of your mottled hands swallow-diving into ivory. I want to finish with a, uh, just a, a little track which is... Uh, um, uh, created uh, for Kavisha, who's um, associated with our group many, many years ago. Uh, her partner at that time, Jeanette, was uh, in the group, and Kavisha would turn up and sometimes, I think, perform for us. In fact, I can't find the piece, but she wrote a piece called The Moo Blues. <laughs> um, so if you're on the internet and you can find it, it's a great piece. But this one is called Corazon, and it's a setting of words by um, Neruda. And I remember my partner at that time, uh, Susan, was uh, out uh, copying up little bits and pieces of Neruda and then bringing them and putting them on the piano, and I was setting them, literally. So this is one of those pieces that was songs that was created in the spirit of um, uh, uh, Act in Haste and Repent at Leisure, because it took quite a lot of work to actually... <laughs> polish it into a song. But can you please help? Thanks.
That's an okay track too, but uh, what, 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 what this one here, is that seven? No, that's it.
Thank you, everyone. Let's sing us Kavisha Matsela.